This is the Globe Aware Adventures in Service podcast with Globe Aware's founder and executive director, Kimberly Haley Coleman, here to help you prepare for your volunteer vacation and offering you tips and tricks that will make your experience more enjoyable, whether you're traveling on one of our programs or traveling on your own. And now, here's Kimberly. Hello, 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 everyone. I'm so excited to talk to you guys about Bhutan today. Some people say Bhutan, Bhutan. Same wonderful, amazing country. And it is now March of 2023. And I'm so glad I'm talking to you about this now and not two months ago. You know why that is, Sherry? Tell me. Okay, it's because if I was talking to you right as I got back from Bhutan, I'm afraid I wouldn't have been talking about anything else, and I would have talked for 30 hours straight, and I know I would have exhausted everyone. So we've had a couple of months go by so I can absorb it and hopefully distill some of the key little nuggets that I want to share. So if you're listening to this, you're either thinking about going on GlobalWare's Bhutan program or you've already registered for our program. And if you don't know, Bhutan is this tiny little amazing country nestled between China and India. It's the least most sparsely populated country in all of Asia. Super clean, looks more like Switzerland than um, a lot of other countries in the area that you might think of. I think it's really hard for anyone to even get a visual on what this country is like. It's so amazing. To me, it's closer to uh, the central highlands of uh, Costa Rica than uh, other parts of Asia. So um, I am joined by my friend Sherry. Um, She's here because she hasn't been to Bhutan, and so she'll be able to tell me if I'm saying something um, in a way that assumes uh, the listener already knows something that they probably don't know. So she is invited to hop in at any time and ask any questions um, so that you're learning about this marvelous country. And I just want to start with one of the more interesting things about Bhutan is what it prioritizes as one of its primary cultural country goals. And I often think about the countries where our programs are in terms of what guides them, what are the uh, important principles that identify them. And, And I always think, for example, that one of the cultural Uh, hallmarks in the United States is that uh, in many people, the concept of being productive and productivity, whether it's in terms of commerce or their jobs or their home life, or or even getting in a lot during their vacations, productivity is something that kind of guides them. In Bhutan, everyone is guided by this concept of GNP, of GNH, sorry, gross national happiness. And I just think it's such a wonderful thing. And when before you go, you think, okay, that sounds like a great marketing goal or some sort of ministry of tourism motto that they're going to put everywhere or on their license plates. And that's not at all what it is. When you get there, you realize that all the kids in school, all of the homes, all, everyone is just guided by the same principles. And it has to do with um, looking at environmental conservation, the preservation and promotion of culture and good governance. And what's so interesting about this is Bhutan is not a wealthy country. You'll see that in terms of material goods, people live with very, very little. But you will see a very obvious blanket of happiness everywhere you go. And I'd love to talk to you when you get back in terms of thinking why that is. What is it? What have they figured out? What are they doing so differently from so many other countries that makes them who they are? And it is so unique. Um, I have to say, when I think of all the countries in the world, one of the things that really makes Bhutan Bhutan, when you are going around the country, you will never forget where you are. Architecturally, all of the buildings are bound by law to abide by certain building standards and cultural um, elements that are incorporated into their architectural standards that they've had for hundreds of years. Men and women wear the the national dress 
if they're going to school or to work. So when you look around, it's sort of like in India, yes, you'll see a lot of people wearing saris, uh, but you'll also see a lot of businessmen wearing Western suits. When you're in Bhutan, people are wearing the national dress, and they're gorgeous, and they haven't changed in hundreds of years. It's absolutely beautiful. But the buildings are the same. So you, you might go to India, Jaisal, Jaisalmer, or Jaipur, or Jodhpur, and see the blue city, the pink city, the gold city. You'll see all the carving. But then even in those cities, you look around, and you'll see um, buildings built at various different times, then some will look Western, some will look Eastern, some will look old, some will look new. In Bhutan, there is a very cohesive nature to how their architecture is done with the exposed wooden beams and all of the hand-painted motifs all over the exterior of the buildings. Uh, Anyway, so it's glorious in this way. You really feel like you're in this country that takes a lot of pride in who they are and what they are, and they've really maintained these um, elements of their culture. And one other thing before we go too far in terms of what to expect and what you're going to be doing in Bhutan, I want to point out something that's just so unique um, about their governance. And while Bhutan is um, a kingdom in the Himalayas, and it has a monarch, uh, King Wadachuk actually, he's the fifth um, in a dynasty. But some years ago, he came to his population and said, you all need to be a democracy. You no longer need a monarchy. And people protested in the streets for a long time because he is such a loving, humble man and has put so much of his heart and soul into their country that people felt no group-based system could be as loving and efficient as he had been. And, and they were probably right, but he did force them to make that transition. And it's, I think, the only example in modern times where a monarch has given up power. I, I think about how uh, George Washington gave up an extra term to serve and what that said about him and how he always maintained the respect of his people because of it. And this is uh, similar, um, someone with power uh, willingly gave it to his people. So, so many things to cherish and love about Bhutan. Um, if you haven't seen Yak in a Classroom, it was up for an Oscar in 21. It didn't win. It should have. It was such a, a wonderful movie um, that referenced both old and new culture in Bhutan and uh, an innocent movie with uh, children and uh, anyway see it it'll it'll really get you excited about going to Bhutan so I'm not going to be able to cover everything about this wonderful country um, I hope you're able to listen to this while you're driving or working out because I have so much to say I'm afraid that Sherry's going to just have to stop when uh, the batteries run out on my microphone but um, I Hopefully you're thinking about going on our program. And one, I know that one of the big draws for a lot of people is they want to see Tiger's Nest, understandably. Um, and typically we do that on our second to last day once people have gotten acclimated to the altitude. And it's not Mount Everest. It's nothing like that. It's eight miles round trip, roughly. And uh, in my group, we had an 80-year-old, we had a 16-year-old, we had 50-year-olds, we had 30-year-olds. So I kind of got a good sense of how people would tackle it. And uh, I went in January, and it was probably uh, 40 degrees when we started our hike, and it was probably 60 when we got to the top, and it was 60s when we got back down. One thing I, I will say is when you're all over Bhutan, the coldest you will be is inside the monasteries. They don't heat them, and you're barefoot. So you should bring socks with you. Um, I, we would even see the monks leaving in the temples so they could stand outside in the sun because the stone floors inside those unheated monasteries in the shade get very cold. But anyway... Um, so in our group, our 80-year-old, who is somebody who works out every day uh, swimming and jogging, uh, but he said he had a hard time with the altitude and was having to stop every few minutes to kind of catch his breath. Um, and then on the way back down, um, his knees were hurting him. It took him about 
a little over two and a half hours to go up and maybe a little over an hour and a half to come down. The 16 and 18-year-old in our group got up in probably an hour and a half and were there waiting on everybody and probably came down in 45 minutes. So there's a big range of time. Now, you can also take a donkey about two-thirds of the way up. You can just pay the uh, donkey wranglers directly, and our coordinators help you do that, and they'll also take you back down. In terms of the um, terrain on that hike, it I'd say two-thirds of it is unpaved, open dirt with some loose stones uh, around and no sort of railing. It's not, but it is cleared. The paths are kept cleared by forest rangers. Um, so it's not technically difficult in terms of needing any special shoes. You're not going to be needing, you know, ice clamps or ropes or rappelling equipment or anything like that. In fact, I think one or two people in our group had walking sticks, but they're not absolutely necessary. The very last uh, portion of the trip is paved with stairs and a railing. And that portion goes down quite steeply and then up quite steeply. And when you see photos of Tiger's Nest, it's from that area where all that starts um, because it's a very dramatic kind of plunge and then back up. But again, at that portion, you do have a railing. So uh, can everybody do it? Is it for everyone? We had somebody in our group whose knees were really bothering her. Um, and she's in her late 70s. And it was probably the right decision. I think uh, it probably would have not been fun for her because she was not interested in getting on a donkey. Um, but there but there are options. A donkey can take you most of the way up. So anyway, um, we've, we've posted some video of the hike up there. You might want to check out before you go. And our coordinator is happy to talk with you about it. And you can even make that decision once you get there because there are some areas to hang out at the bottom. And before you get up, about two-thirds of the way up is where um, there is a new, it was built during COVID, a new sort of cafe, restaurant, very picturesque. Uh, beautiful exposed beams where everyone eats on the way up that will provide a meal, um, a very good, typical Bhutanese meal. Anyway, so that's a big draw. We know a lot of you are um, looking at Bhutan because that's always been on your bucket list. I don't blame you. It is exquisite. It's beautiful, well worth going to. And I think the majority of people can probably handle it, assuming they're not in a hurry and they don't mind uh, taking their time. All right, so... Um, as I mentioned, it's a, Bhutan is a small country between two giants, I mean, between China and India. And what's so unique about that is almost all of their electricity is hydroelectric. They've got all this melted glacier water from uh, the Himalayas, and they sell a lot of that power to India. So they are very tied to India in their economy. Um, the average GDP is something like $2,000 a person. So again, people live with very little, but they are um, given health care and education, and uh, their environment is quite clean, and uh, there's less than a million people. It's something like 770,000 people that live in the whole country, something like 150,000 in the capital, Timpu. And that's where our volunteers fly into. It's a really thrilling, exciting flight because it kind of comes at a steep angle between couple large mountains and some people, I just didn't even look when uh, we flew in and we flew out, but a lot of people um, in our party, as we were leaving, just sat and stared at the uh, flights as they would come in and come out because that's such a unique um, approach. Anyway, um, and the projects that we're handling there, I, I hesitate to talk about this only because this is a dynamic thing. This is something that will often change. There are certain things we will always do. When our volunteers arrive, you're going to be blessed and met by uh, lamas and monks, um, and you will, at some point early on, be doing a, a small 20-minute hike into a forest next to a beautiful, seriously babbling brook. Sounds like something out of a, a children's book, and it really is. And you plant magnolias there, and your coordinator will tell you more about why and how. And they really do a remarkable job in planting over 700,000 trees a year. So for every person that lives in this country, they're, they're planting at least a tree. 
Um, so they, in terms of being carbon neutral and economically, ecologically, um, environmentally, um, as responsible as they can with what they've been given. You'll see it. You'll see it everywhere around you. You'll see that their um, trash uh, is not the issue in this country as it is in some of its neighboring issues. And in terms of consumption, um, they are uh, consuming many less products. Um, anyway, so you'll be uh, planting some trees. Uh, depending on how many people are in your group, what time of year, and what projects have been finished, you may be building the community center. You'll probably be whitewashing temples alongside um, some nuns and monks um, for a portion of one of the days. There's an animal rescue center where we've been building shelters. There's a whole bunch of different projects. So stay open because uh, we really try and put the most needed projects at the top of the list with our volunteers. Uh, so just stay open. They'll always be changing. Um, I do think it's important to point out that this project, the reason Globalware is doing it is that there was a local grassroots organization started by um, His Royal Highness, uh, the Prince Wang Chuck, and one of his friends who is American, and they came to Globalware and asked um, us to work with them in terms of creating a volunteer program. So that's why we're there. It's really interesting because it means uh, with that connection through the royal family, we've gotten to be connected with all sorts of portions of this culture that we might not have. And hopefully we'll get into some of that, but it makes it a, an especially unique opportunity. Um, and again, hopefully we'll circle back to that today. Um, anyway, and in terms of accommodations, right now we've got volunteers that you'll be staying progressing through Timpu with the capital, Paro, which is about an hour away, and Punaka, which is a couple of hours away. So you'll see kind of three major areas uh, and be involved in projects in those areas and leisure and culture activities in those areas. So you'll, it's sort of interesting because normally we don't change our location and change our hotels and our programs, but in this particular uh, program, it just made sense to do that. Um, and you'll be staying in three separate Bhutanese-style hotels, all of which have those, you know, gorgeous whitewashed walls with the um, main eight motifs of Bhutan painted, and then the exposed beams, which are all hand-painted. And I believe the, all of the hand-painting gets redone, usually about every eight years um, for anybody who can afford it. And again, it's just a visual feast to see this in person. Um, and the accommodations are all three stars, so you'll have, you know, of course, hot running water, you have flat screen TVs, flushing toilets, um, heaters, air conditioning. Um, you'll be taking your breakfast there at the hotels, and I think you'll find them very comfortable. Are they the fanciest hotels you'll have ever been in? No, but they are very, very comfortable. I think they're much nicer, for example, than a Motel 6. They have uh, a very Bhutanese flair to them. And um, we just haven't had any complaints. I, I think you'll really like it. Uh, and there's Wi-Fi at the hotels, although I really encourage you not to spend much time on it. Um, it's not too bad. If you're coming um, with an international plan on your phone, you'll find that your phone works almost, I'm going to say, over 90% of the time um, throughout your program. I would just, you know, figure out the ins and outs on that so you'll know the cost before you get there. The food... Um, your breakfast, again, will be taken at your hotel. And then the lunches and dinners sometimes will be eating at the local, what they call heritage farmhouses, where they've created these homes specifically to provide traditional Bhutanese food to visitors. Now, something unique about Bhutan over other countries is they have this minimal um, sustainable development fee that every visitor to the country has to pay. Uh, the Indian, uh, Indians from the Indian subcontinent were exempted until 2023, and now even they have to pay it. There's a little bit less. But it really is designed to do two things. One, it keeps their tourism numbers in check so that they're not over-touristed. And number two, it's a way of ensuring that they have um, enough economic development dollars to support their population with base social services. Um, so it is a more expensive country to go to than many of the places you'll go 
but that is why. And that is their business model and how they've decided to handle their pressures. And they seem to be doing a pretty good job with it. Uh, there's really not a way around this. Um, right now, March of 2023, most people are either getting to and from Bhutan through India, Thailand, or Singapore. I will tell you that Thailand, when we've been looking into it, it tends to be a little more expensive but easier because if you're from North America, you're not requiring a visa to go to and from. India is a little bit cheaper, but you're going to have to get a visa. And unless they change it, that India visa is much more complicated than it should be. Not only is it a whole lot of data you have to upload, but it's a real glitchy system. So it'll tell you you need a photo of this person, a photo of this passport, and a photo of that. And it's got to be this many pixels and this many resolute. And you'll, you'll get it. You'll have it exactly the right size. And it'll keep kicking it out and won't save and won't save. So anyway, uh, just a warning that if you go through India, you're going to have to deal with that. Um, it's a pain, but you might save a little bit of money and it might work better with your schedule. Um, so anyway, there are different ways of getting there. And I think as we come out of COVID, they were very late to open. They were very quick to close up and very late to open. Um, so they've redone a lot of their um, tourism protocols in that time. I should say, Sherry, it's so interesting. They got something like 95% of their population vaccinated in a week. It's really incredible. Uh, they're, you know, organized and they're small and they're able to do things in a way other people aren't. But anyway. Okay, so we talked a little bit about getting there. We talked a little bit about accommodations, some of the main draws. I also want to mention the food. Um, now, this is a Buddhist country, so you might expect there's a lot of vegetarian food the way there is in India. However, I will tell you that there is, it's, it's not, even though there are vegetarian dishes, the kinds of things that you might think of as being vegetarian are often served with chicken or pork in them um, and some beef. Uh, it's excellent food. It's not as varied as in places like India and China, nowhere near as varied. The one thing that makes it really different is the default spice level is much spicier than what you're used to. Now, the Bhutanese know that visitors are not accustomed to their spice level. So they really try and tone it down. And they will offer salads that have things like green beans and carrots and cucumbers and plenty of rice available and veggies and things like that. But don't hesitate to tell them um, if you need it even less spicy. The Bhutanese are, remember, they're focused on gross national happiness. They want you to be happy. They want you to go home happy. They don't want you to be sick. So all you have to do is tell them, please, 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 no spice or very little spice, and they will do it. One of the dishes they serve with every meal except for breakfast, and I do mean every meal, is emadatsa. And it, to me, is, it, it's, they say chili cheese, and sometimes when you're taking pictures, instead of saying cheese, they say chili cheese, and that's why <laughs> emadatsi chili cheese is their national dish. And to give you a sense of what it is, is they'll take jalapeno peppers, slice it up, and they'll kind of steam and stir fry them until they're soft, and then they kind of melt their traditional white farmer's cheese over it. And what it ends up tasting to me like is if you were to take melted white cheddar cheese with pickled jalapenos on nachos, it kind of has that flavor to it. And they will put it on rice, and they put, they, they put it on the sides of all their dishes. And they'll eat it like a vegetable. It's almost like spinach to them. That's how they eat. They, and they eat it with everything. And I think it's delicious, but it is really spicy. Um, and then they have dumplings and some noodles and stir fried dishes and things like that. But the, for the most part, everybody in our party really loved the food. Um, there, there might be a stage several days in where you're kind of thinking, gosh, I'd kind of like something other than a stir fried meal, rice and emadatsi, but it, it is great food. And, and the breakfasts that they serve in the, um, hotels where we're hosting you tend to be, um, both a combination of Bhutanese food and Western breakfast. So, um, you'll have things like cereal and toast and fruit and all that other stuff too. So, um, in terms of the leisure activities, in addition to things like Tiger's Nest, you'll be seeing a variety of temples and hiking. Um, there's a postal museum and a royal textile museum. And they're small, so you can get in, see them, and get out. 
and the Zongs. And the Zongs are what you've seen photos of. They're these really picturesque, beautiful, uh, they look like pal whitewashed palaces on the sides of the river that are both administrative buildings and monasteries combined. They're sort of uh, fortress buildings, and they're usually the dominating feature of any town. So you'll be visiting a few of those, and they're gorgeous. You'll see all the monks in their um, crimson robes, unlike Thailand where they wear orange. Uh, they wear crimson here. And they're different from Thai uh, monks in another respect, as they're allowed to marry. Uh, they have different rules, so uh, I could do a whole separate episode about that. In terms of money, you're not going to need a lot. Um, you, everything is essentially paid for except for any special uh, souvenirs or anything you'd like to buy. What I tell most people to do is just go ahead and withdraw about $200 worth of the local currency in the ATM at the airport on arrival. You probably won't need to get any other money while you're there. Um, that'll cover any sort of extra soft drinks or alcoholic beverages or souvenirs you're likely to buy. Once you're in town in Timpu and Paro, all the souvenir places will take a credit card anyway. So it's only if you're going to the market or, you know, doing little by the side of the road type of purchases where you might want the money and you can always exchange it on your way back before you leave. But that's what I'd recommend. Um, the weather year round is pretty much, I, we, we offer the program year round. I would say the highest, um, draw, most people like to be there September to December, um, July and August, uh, the rains start to come. I don't, think anyone should not come just because it rains a little bit. I have to say June is when all these gorgeous purple flowers come into uh, bloom. And there are a lot of people who come to Bhutan just to see that. It's just glorious. So uh, really, you can come any time of year. But the temperature swing during the day uh, and evening is always a really big swing. And You'll see that in our orientation materials. I should mention that I'm not going to go into exhaustive detail on anything. Um, look at our orientation materials for that. That's where we'll also have links to the latest anything, the latest currency exchange, uh, the latest laws, rules, pa uh, projects, things like that. That's where our packing list will be. Bhutan, more than any other place, is a place where you really are going to want to layer because, it could again, the day could start out uh, at 40 and end it close to 80, so you'll want to be able to take off and put on clothes as needed. Um, the electricity uses um, a three-pronged adapter where uh, there's two flat pins and a, a kind of a flat pin going the other direction on top. Um, you can buy them there if you need it, uh, but it's better to go. I, I think it's just a good idea to bring a couple um, don't count on it being easy to find it there, even though they do have them. It's just better to bring it. Um, and you will be met at the airport by our coordinator. And I'll tell you, I know what the temptation is because I've been there. You arrive in that gorgeous building. It doesn't look like another airport you've ever seen. It's small and picturesque. And all of that hand painting, I, everyone's going to whip out their cameras and everyone's going to start taking pictures of the building and your coordinator's going to be waiting on the other side, and there's llamas waiting to bless you, and so on. Every building you pass, you're going to see a bunch of these gorgeous buildings. They're all that way. So as much as you're tempted to take photos of that building, you'll also have another opportunity when you leave the country. So uh, just keep that in mind. I, but I hear you. I've been there. I've seen it. I know the temptation. It's beautiful. <laughs> Uh, a lot of people ask about donations. You are not expected to bring or donate anything. The fact that you're contributing is paying for all these uh, materials projects that we're going to be doing. It's paying for your coordinator salary, your food, everything else. But if you want to bring something, um, we encourage anything that is going to help people stand on their own two feet. So, for example, we'd rather you gave... Um, you know, solar calculators, jump ropes, and basketballs rather than candy and money. 
something that's going to outlast your being there and contribute to uh, the locals, not just seeing you as an ATM machine, but seeing you as a partner in friendship. Um, so you can bring things like toothbrushes, toothpaste, shampoo, soap, linens, kitchen utensils, children's books. Um, we've also uh, been a part of bringing baseball and softball to this country just a couple of years ago. There's currently a coach here that's been here for about a year from Texas, and the country's really having fun with it. We've got a variety of people in the um, – uh, uh, professional baseball here in the U.S. that are involved. And um, anyway, it's going to be an interesting opportunity for you to play softball and baseball with the local kids here. I think you'll see what I mean. It's a really interesting uh, environment to do that. Um, the locals all, their national sport is archery. So you'll see a lot of archery and darts. And their archery isn't like our archery. They're two, they'll have a team on either side that feels like it's a kilometer apart and you'll see some of these archery courses where people are pulling their bow back and you you and I may not even be able to see the target that they're pointing at and what's really interesting is their their teammates or the opposing team are actually standing right next to that target <laughs> so and a lot of times they're drinking and there's a wonderful <laughs> episode uh, by Anthony Bourdain, where there's a whole uh, whole group of guys playing and they're getting trashed and they're all, the, the, and their archery, their bows are they look like hunting bows, right? And their their arrows aren't are serious business. So there's a scene where Anthony Bourdain says, you know, a bunch of guys getting getting trashed and playing. All right, what could possibly go wrong, right? <laughs> anyway, um, and you'll also see um, how serious they are with their darts on the side of the road. And um, many times, like, we'd be cycling along on a bicycle and just stop and play um, a little round of, of darts um, with the locals. So it's a fun thing to do. The other thing I'll say about archery that is so great is how they celebrate and how they taunt each other. So when someone gets a good hit, and I'm sure there's better words for this, um, they all stop, they put on, whoever scored puts a ribbon around their net, their waist, and they sing this great song uh, that's really worth seeing. And then ask your coordinator to translate the taunts, because some of them are so funny. They'll, you know, talk about you know, what they're hiding in their national dress or how uh, the sun must be reflecting off of someone's head and that's why they can't see. Anyway, they're really funny taunts. So they all just um, really laugh and enjoy uh, their uh, national pastime. So anyway, um, the other, you know, you'll see when they're playing archery, they're all required by law to be play, to be wearing this national dress called a go. And uh, all of the men in our group um, decided to buy one. They were around $150. They weren't cheap. You can get them cheaper. They're, you can get cotton ones, silk, and so on. They're beautifully made. Um, you're going to need our coordinator's help to put it on. It is sort of, if you've ever put a sari on, you know, there aren't any buttons and zippers and um, things like that to guide you. It's all very specifically put on in a traditional way. Um, and they take so much pride and joy when visitors put them on in helping you. And anytime you need help adjusting, people are willing to do it. We had people in our party, like if we were stopping at a light, um, you know, policemen would come up and help the people in our, our group get adjusted. Uh, women who are passing by would if we were about to go on a, a suspension bridge, they would come up on either side of the people in our group and, and help their clothes. I mean, it's amazing um, sort of icebreaker to wear the local dress. Of course, you're not expected to wear it. I know right now in our culture, there uh, this concept of cultural appropriation um, makes younger people wonder, is this offensive or not offensive? I can tell you in Bhutan, if you wear the local dress, Everyone loves it. They all want to get a photo of you wearing it, and they want to be in it with you. Uh, they see it as a very respectful thing to do, a, a way of showing um, 
their culture respect. So uh, that is all I've ever seen in terms of a response to wearing the go. So I would encourage encourage you to wear it if you feel you can um, and wear it without feeling like you're offending anyone because you won't be. Um, I do understand the concept of cultural appropriation that we don't want to course ever make fun of someone's culture and I know that anyone going on our program that would be wearing this would only be doing it as a sign of respect um okay I know I'm going Sherry all over the map is there do you have any questions about anything I've said so far uh, random question I know you said the monks can marry yes can the nuns marry you know, I don't know the answer to that. I, you know, I, I don't know why, but we ended up um, speaking with a lot more monks on our trip. And we will organize, to the best of our ability, you'll have either monks or uh, nuns eating with you at a variety of times. Um, and we got to uh, talk with a really fascinating monk uh, over a meal at one point and it was so great he was really active and involved on social media and ever since we've all been connected to him and love seeing the kinds of things that he posts and uh, kind of a window into his life through that so it's a good question well, I just looked it up it says no they can't marry oh <laughs> so <laughs> when you while you're in Bhutan ask your coordinator about that why can't nuns marry anyway um my next question is just uh -huh. Does everyone speak English? Or? Oh, good question. Okay, so they, you'll you won't struggle too hard to find people who speak English. It is the language that they are teaching in schools to give the Bhutanese children another language to speak that will allow them kind of uh, job skills. Um, and the ability to communicate. They do have local languages and dialects. You'll hear those spoken, but you'll find English spoken more here than in uh, some of the other countries where our projects are based. Also, I want to point out, you know, I mentioned that chilies are an important part of their diet. I can't think of something that we eat with every meal the way they eat chilies with every meal. But what you'll notice if you start looking around is how they will pick, they'll take like a bushel of chilies and then they'll empty them out on the, their rooftops to let them dry out so that they have them, I guess, during times of the year when they are not growing fresh. So as you drive around Bhutan, you'll see what a strange sight it is, see all these red peppers uh, lying all over their rooftops. And that's what that is. Um, and then you'll also see all the cute street signs that say, no worry, no hurry. And you'll hear, you'll hear everybody saying that. And that locally, you know, people aren't in a hurry. Again, gross national happiness, not productivity is what they're focused on. That said, I have to say our coordinators are really great about being on time. They're very likely to be down there waiting for you in the lobby before you are ready. Um, and you're not likely to be waiting on them um, so uh, they're, they really try and be respectful of your time. But the culture itself is not focused on speed. Um, and they're very careful when driving. Um, so if you ride a bike um, or uh, find yourself walking on the roads, you'll find that people tend to be pretty respectful of pedestrians, which is nice to see. Uh, also, something else that makes Bhutan Bhutan... Uh, there was a very famous uh, king, mad king, who was also a monk. I'm sorry, he, I, I, you know, I, I hate to say this, I can't remember if he's a king or a monk, but I know he was a divine, I want to say they call him the divine mad king. Uh, but anyway, the reason I bring him up is he is affiliated with the phallus. Because when he was teaching a uh, few hundred years ago, his teachings were considered very unusual. Um, he would he was he liked the ladies and he liked alcohol, and he felt that um, people should be speaking of things that were otherwise seen as taboo, and the phallus was one of them. And so you will see phalluses painted in many places all over Bhutan, but in particular in the temple in the area that he's from. And um, I mean, the, 
souvenir shops are full of them. They're painted in a very beautiful style with all sorts of interesting adornments on them. And uh, that's what that's all about. But your coordinator will tell you in much more detail um, why that is. And you can go to the temple that he is most associated with. And they have this giant phallus that uh, couples who are trying to conceive will come from all over, actually, the world. And they will pick up that giant wooden phallus and walk around the temple three times. And there's a there are several books there of... Uh, photos of couples with their children that have been born after they visited the temple that it's really a fun thing to see and you'll see all of the offerings that people make to these temples so even though I uh, so you know they I think the the locals seem to understand that as visitors we understand the reverence that they have and we also it's hard for us to suppress our own giggles and smiles um, over this because it is a really unique thing and they're not presented in any sort of pornographic way I have to say they're again uh, depicted with an unusual reverence but like disembodied like there will just be a giant phallus with a white ribbon and on the side of a building you know with no context so it can be surprising if you haven't seen that right I mean like all cultures it's one of the things that makes it interesting and different um, and certainly the kids in our group got a big, I mean, I'm telling you, the male adults got a big kick out of that, the, seeing all the phalluses everywhere, the phallus palace, our great visit to the phallus palace. Um, but anyway, I'm not going to cover everything. I know I've already been talking a lot, and I think Bhutan probably deserves its own episode at some point, but... Um, it is such an amazing country. It's peaceful. People are smiling and eager to chat with you. You'll be seeing the um, local dance customs. You'll be seeing lots of agricultural projects. You'll be seeing all of the amazing terraced rice fields. And I don't think there's anything I can say in this podcast that can make this country sound as interesting as it actually is. It's jaw-droppingly beautiful in terms of its nature with the clean skies and beautiful mountains and temples and smiling people and their gorgeous national dress their willingness to chat their openness you know they've been closed for three years so their interest in seeing you and talking to you is genuine um, it is not a country like many others that encourages independent travel. And again, a lot of that is because they've decided that they prioritize their people and they want to take care of them. They don't have a lot of jobs. Their hydroelectric power is a big source of their wealth. Wealth is um, their resources, rather. Um, and so they have decided that if you want to come to their country, yes, there is, um, you are going to pay, and your pay is enabling their ability to live. Um, and again, you'll see that no one is really living um, with a lot. But in exchange for that, you'll find that everyone does want to care for you. They want to take care of you. If you um, are in any way, you know, you twist an ankle or you're looking for a particular type of chocolate or I just you name it they are going to want to bend over backwards to please you this um, population is just a really interesting group of people I have to say they don't have any sort of national tradition of vacationing themselves of taking holidays of traveling um, they don't see the need for that. They feel like their happiness is in their regular day-to-day -day lives, and they like talking about these things. So it's a really interesting opportunity to expand your world perspective on what, what their lives are like. They, they're happy to talk about it. Sherry, what am I leaving out? What, what else should I be mentioning? What, do you, what questions do you have? I don't have any questions, but I have a comment. When I was telling my dad that y'all were going to Bhutan, he was telling me he's from El Paso and went to school at UT El Paso. Yeah. And back in 1917, the dean's wife had seen photographs of it. And even to this day, all the buildings on the campus are all 
yeah. based along their architecture. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. You know, I, you're right. I've seen photos of that, and uh, you're right. And I think a lot of people who see it are like, where is this from? This just mm -hmm. doesn't make sense and contextually. Yeah. Uh, you're right. And, and I think people who go, it, it really quickly gets in you. You think, gosh, I'd love to go back and put, you know, put that into my house or incorporate it in some way. Um, and it, just what a veritable army it must take to keep all those buildings hand painted with all of those, uh, all the beautiful motifs. It's not just phalluses. There are eight, um, symbols, um, affiliated with you know love and infinity and friendship and so on that you'll see um, at all of the temples um, and again our coordinator does an amazing job of telling you um, uh, patiently um, what they're about over and over because uh, you know inevitably you forget what this one or that one means and and uh, because they take such pride in their culture and they really do uh, because they're teaching it in the schools and homes and their, their monarch did it too. This idea of gross national happiness is not a travel brochure motto in any way. And you may be thinking that in the back of your minds, but I know when you go, you'll see, oh, gosh, they really are living it. This really is interesting to see how focused they are on happiness and what happiness means to them and how keeping their culture specific to their country, how that is a part of their happiness, right? That's interesting. Because I, I, I don't, it's just not a part of our normal conversation, you know. In the United States, we're not saying, you know, what is it, is it, I mean, maybe we should. Is it, if is it apple pie, if apple pie is going to keep us all happy, maybe we should be, you know, making sure we got an apple pie in our house every week. But but anyway, it's interesting that, that that's it's something they keep foremost in their minds, you know, keeping, um true to their culture um, and not that nothing has changed but um, and there are some things there there are some like like you know with any culture there are things that um, in any part of anyone's history past there might be things that you're less proud of I mean certainly in the United States we have our own past things that we're not proud of and, and one of the things that um, they have in Bhutanese culture that is is going away certainly in the cities uh, it's something called, I believe it's like night hunting. And they have this, it's interesting because they don't have um, a belief that you have to be married um, to have children. And the... Um, and to get married doesn't involve, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars and get priests involved and the whole community and so on. It's a much easier thing to do. Um, and to get divorced, it is as well. And also, wealth travels through the woman's family instead of the man's family, which is very interesting. So I, I didn't know the answer to whether or not nuns could get married, but I'm surprised that the men can and the women can't, considering it's a matrilineal society, that wealth flows through the woman's household, even though in the two big cultures on either side of them, in India and China, that is not the tradition. Uh, so uh, it's really interesting this this way, but I was going to say that an uh, uh, ugly tradition, I, I, that's maybe the wrong word to use, uh, is something called night hunting where um, the boys, men, would go and, and visit um, an unsuspecting girl um, and, and physically... Uh, consummate this relationship. Sometimes, um, from what I'm hearing, it's more of a teenage rite of passage where maybe it was prearranged between the two people involved. But what's unique about this is Bhutanese homes have one main central room where everybody sleeps. So picture how that gets pulled off. But anyway, that is going away. Apparently, it still happens a bit in rural areas and uh, there are traditions where it is seen as rape. So it really depends on who you talk to. So there's some interesting aspects to this culture I'm not going to be able to go into detail on. So as, as delightful and wonderful um, a place as this is, there are, of course, uh, corners to any culture and society that are interesting to learn um, some of the darker sides, too, and I mean, I'm glad to hear that it's going away. But anyway, uh, but, but it is a matrilineal society, so um, yeah, I meant to mention that earlier. 
Um, and let's see, we talked about um, our projects. You know, we're always interested to hear the questions you have and comments. And when you get back, if you want to do a podcast with us and we could interview and you could tell us all the things I forgot to say in this that you wish you had known going into it. I will say it's a, it is a real journey to get there. I know as uh, we get further and further from COVID, more and more flights will open up and it will hopefully be less and less difficult to get to. But at the moment to get to Bhutan, because there are only a few main gateway cities, having those flights um, at times that you'd like, I mean, you'd love to just get to, you know, Bangkok and have only an hour and a half transfer and turn around and be, it just seems like it's always a seven or eight hour layover. And so it is a big journey to get to Bhutan. We know it's a big journey. It is worth that big journey. It is so unique. Uh, it's really a great place for people who already feel like they've traveled a lot of places. Or if, they, if they're if they really interested in some place like India or China, but they, they're worried uh, because it, those are big, loud, crowded places. If they're wanting something in Asia that isn't crowded <laughs> and busy, this is this is your place. This is your place. It's safe. It's beautiful. It's peaceful. Um, and everyone looks after you. So uh, anyway, and the bathrooms, I have to say, all the bathrooms where um, tourists are brought are modern Western flushing toilets. Um, so uh, you shouldn't have to worry too much about that. You are going to need to drink bottled water. You might hear people giving you varying opinions on that, but you need to drink bottled water, and we do provide that for you. Um, Sherry, what else? You ready to go to Bhutan? I'm ready to go. When do yeah, we head out? Right. It's great. Yak in a classroom. You've got to see that. Anyway, well, hey, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Uh, we hope to see you here on our program soon. Have fun and help people. Thanks for joining us. We hope you'll check out our social media to see real-time content of what's happening at our program locations around the world. Don't hesitate to reach out with questions or comments at 214-824-4562 or info at globeaware.com and come join us in having fun and helping people. We know you'll love changing people's lives and changing your own in the process.